5 of Isaiah. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises that are in your word, and I thank you that those promises are yes, and they are amen. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that the hope that we have in you is a hope that will not fail and will not disappoint. I pray that you'd fill this place with the Holy Spirit and that our hearts would be turned up today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Second Sunday of Advent, Advent looks both to the past and to the future. Uh, Because of of our particular culture, because of uh, what a, a big deal we make, and it should be a big deal, out of Christmas, we tend to look more to the past during the season of Advent, although historically, really more of the focus has been on, uh, has been on the future, has been on the second Advent, on the coming of Christ. And that's, uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week, I pointed out that a lot of people are more excited uh, about the, the price of gas going down or about the latest fad diet than they are about the, uh, the incarnation. And in fact, I made up a fictional fad diet last week, um, and uh, it was the, uh, the ice cream diet, and it made its way to the internet uh, this week, and I'm expecting it to go viral because people will believe anything. Uh, I hope they do not trace it back to me, though, because <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. Uh, this week, I want to suggest that we are more interested, or we have more interest, depend, you know, based on how much time we spend thinking about and focusing on, we have more interest in the latest pronouncement from some politician or uh, the latest uh, pronouncement from some pundit on the radio or the latest uh, headline in the newspaper than we are in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that we should have no interest in, in, in politics or, uh, or in the situations that are going on around the world, but, uh, 
But I'm just pointing out that we, spend, we tend to spend more time focused on things that are temporal and things that we really can't do much about and things that even if we do something about them, the result will probably not be what we thought it was going to be than we do spending time on what is eternal and what Christ has told us to spend time thinking about, which would be his return, his coming. He is, he is coming again. I used to get all wound up. I, I, I don't remember the exact date, but I remember it happening. I used to get, uh, uh, I lived in Nashville, and I, and I worked in Murfreesboro. This was back in the late 70s. And I, and I used to get all wound up about, uh, about the, the Middle East situation. Boy, that hasn't necessarily gone away. But uh, in particular, as it, as it related to Israel and stuff, you know, I would just, I just get myself all tied up in knots. And then, and then one day, as I was driving to work, and I was meditating on the Word of God, and I was meditating on uh, some particular psalms, and it was talking about what was going to happen to Israel's enemies, and all of a sudden I went, wait a minute. I'm not going to do any of that. God's got it all. He's going to take care of it. He's going to sort this out. And gee, I probably am not helping the situation any by making my stomach hurt on the way to work every day, thinking about this stuff. And I'm not, so I pray, I pray for Israel, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I pray for all of the people in the Middle East, not just those who are descendants from Jacob, but God's got it. God's the one who's going who's gonna to sort it out. The spiritual implications aside, have our lives become so satisfied and so, so shallow that, that we can't seem to spare a thought for the greatest event that the world will ever experience? So well, I thought that was the resurrection. Well, it was, but there's a bigger one coming. The resurrection of all the dead. He really is coming. And sometimes we tend to, we tend to uh, lose focus because it's been a while. It, it's been a little while. But we need to bear in mind that the first time he came, it was a while. But that people were, were waiting on it. Rodney referenced it uh, uh, again this morning. But the first reference to the, to the coming of Christ is Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, uh, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head. You will strike his heel. And some people say, I don't see Christ there. Well, he is there. He is there. The cross is there, actually. And, and that being so, that means that it was at least 4,000 years from the first time that it was announced until he actually got here. I mean, people, people had to wait for a little while, had, had to, uh, had to com- were, were keening for it by the time that it came. And for sure, Messiah was in focus by the time of Moses and the time of David and the time of Isaiah. And I put a telescope up there. Nobody really knows what, that's, what that means. But, but my, my dad, when I, was, when I was growing up, I used to hear him all the time. Preachers have phrases that they tend to use. And apparently mine is when you get right down to it. Some of you have heard me say that. You know, uh, there are people in this, in this church who, and this is a very irreverent thing to do, but when I say, when you get right down to it, they, they tweet each other, and Mark, he did it again. <laughs> but it keeps them awake, for sure. One of my dad's phrases was, 
Isaiah looked down through the telescope of time. And when I heard that, I'd go, wow. I didn't know my dad could make up metaphors. That, that's, that's, that's profound, the telescope of time. So anyway, there's a telescope up there. And Moses looked through it, and he wrote about a prophet that was going to be like him. And he said, God's going to put his words on the, in this prophet's mouth, and he's going to tell us everything that God has to say, and God's going to call to account anybody who disregards his words. He was talking about Messiah. David looked down through the telescope of time. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He also wrote the psalm that said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was all about the cross. Isaiah did look down through the telescope of time. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. And so Isaiah 700 years, David 1,100 years, Moses 1,500 years. God doesn't, God doesn't reckon time the same way we do. He lives in eternity. Whenever it says over in, in, in Peter that a day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years are like a day, that's not a formula for figuring out prophecy. That's just simply saying that time doesn't really exist in eternity. When we've been there 10,000 years, it may feel like 10 minutes. Because we'll be in eternity. And so the fact that he hasn't come yet doesn't mean that, he's, that he is not coming. Now, did Jesus and his followers expect him to come back very soon, expect him to come back immediately? I mean, Jesus, after all, did say, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And sometimes people will tell you that Jesus expected to come back within the lifetime of the people he was talking to. But that doesn't necessarily have to mean that. Because he was telling them about a lot of stuff that was going to happen. And so it definitely not only could, but does mean that the generation that sees those things happening, that's the generation. And if you go into the scripture, if you go into Matthew 24 and begin to look at a lot of those things, you know, we see them. It could definitely, could definitely be us. Jesus and all of the New Testament writers made it clear that no one knows the time. And in fact, it'll come like a thief when it comes. It will come when we least expect it. Jesus said two verses later in Matthew 24, about that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So whenever somebody writes a new book to tell us when Christ is coming back again, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. And, and, and you know, and I understand the desire to to want to know and to, and to look into these things. And yeah, that okay, that that's cool. But just understand that you're not going to figure it out. In retrospect, we could look back and go, well, of course, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Uh, that. Of course he was born in a humble circumstance. Of course he was born in a manger. Of course he was born. But nobody knew it at the time. Nobody was looking for that at the time when it happened. So, you know, we're, we're not going to figure it out, but that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be looking. And, and Peter goes on to say, uh, over in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4, above all you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come. And what do scoffers do? They scoff, yes, scoffing, 
and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And they don't understand that they themselves are a fulfillment of one of the signs that he's coming soon. I mean, Peter, Peter was one of those guys sitting around when Jesus was, was saying this generation won't pass away. Peter apparently felt like it was going to be long enough that people were going to be going, hey, he's never coming. It's been a while. It's been a, it's been a long time. And what, what is being overlooked, what we're actually being instructed to do, what the Scripture instructs us to do, is, is what I, I call the, the dynamic of waiting. The dynamic of waiting. It may be another thousand years. It's hard for me to imagine. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine the, the, the earth the planet that we live on, the way things are going. It's hard for me to imagine it it's still being here in a thousand years. Uh, it could be. And we should live as if we're going to make it to a hundred and then we're going to be buried and, and go to the other side. before we, come. we should live that way. On the other hand, it could be today. And we should live with an expectancy. We, we, we should live with that, not only with, okay, I'm not going to go out and, and charge my credit cards full because Jesus is coming back on, on, on January the 17th and my credit cards aren't due till January the 18th and so I won't have to pay them, you know. We, 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 should, we should, you know, prepare for things that are long-term, but we should live with an expectancy. The, back in the mid-70s when I, first, when I first came to the Lord, for the first year or two, um, you know, I, I, every morning I woke up going, will it be today? Will it be today? Yeah. And I remember, especially the last uh, couple of months before Margaret and I got married, I, I remember I was, I was living in my parents' house, and we had an infestation of fleas in my parents' house. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an infestation of fleas in your house, but those buggers are hard to get rid of. They really are. And, I, and they don't bother some people, but... I, there must be something about me. F- fleas think I'm wonderful. They're, they're, they just, they're just they're attracted to me. And so the last couple of months, I get up and, boy, I, got, I had this. <laughs> I, talk about the dynamic of waiting. I get up and every morning I go, Lord, you know, I'm going to get married to Margaret in a couple of months, and I'd really like to do that. So I really don't mind if you wait, you know, like three months or so before you come back. On the other hand, if you're going to come back today, could you come back this morning before these fleas eat me up? <laughs> so the dynamic was there both ways, but, but that's a great way to live. It's, it's, it's with anticipation, but at the same time with preparation. If we go too far in either direction, it becomes unhealthy. There aren't a lot of things that I am absolutely certain of. There's about five. I'm absolutely certain that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm absolutely certain he died on the cross for my sins. I'm absolutely certain that he rose from the dead. I'm absolutely certain that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm absolutely certain that he's coming back. Those are the things that I know of a certainty. 
I don't know a lot of details, but I know the important stuff. And that's the important stuff. And what we're instructed in, see, God's got this, God's got this together. Uh, I, I feel kind of silly saying, well, this was really, this is really smart of God to do it this way. But because everything God does is really smart. Every, everything that he does is really wise. But, you know, nothing is revealed to the enemy either. You know, if I could write a book and tell you exactly when Jesus was coming back, the devil could read that book. Maybe use that information. Yeah. So, you know, God instructs us in this, this healthy spiritual lifestyle of being of preparation and anticipation. When he comes, what will it mean? We're so used to broken promises. We're so used to there being a gotcha. We're so used to there being a hook somewhere in things. We're so used to to politicians that, you know, make promises. If I'm elected, so-and-so will happen, and then it doesn't happen. And, you know, if you're still young enough to think that it's going to happen just because you elect somebody, let me disabuse you of that notion right now. It, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. And it's not always because they're being disingenuous. They don't have the power. You do understand that who's in the White House has nothing to do with your favorite TV show being canceled. Right? You, you do understand that who, who your senator is has nothing to do with the fact that, that you got a raise or that you got fired. We, we tend to think that they, that they have this power to do these things, but, you know, they, they really don't when you get right down to it. And so we're used to broken promises. We're, we're used to things going south. We're, we're used to, to, to people not being able to, to fulfill what they say that they're going to do. But every promise that God makes is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. The hope that we have is a hope that will not fail, that will not disappoint. In fact, it goes beyond anything that we can expect. The, the things that he says that, we will, that he will do are basically he's just telling us the stuff that we can maybe get our hands around. He's really got bigger plans than what we, than what we can possibly imagine. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it's not entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. And so here's some of the things that will happen when his kingdom comes. It says, Behold, I will create a new heaven and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And here's the point. Jesus is not coming to fix things. Jesus is not coming to, to, to fix a broken system and make it work. The world system is broken. He's coming to destroy it. He's coming to absolutely obliterate it and replace it with something that we have not seen before. Second Peter uh, uh, 3.10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Yes! Seriously, have you read the news lately? Do you want this to keep going on the way that it is? You know, the, the, the definition of insanity, doing the same old thing the same old way. 
No, man, this, the, the, the earth just... And, you know, this is, this, is, this, is, this is beyond anything I can think about. I mean, I, I tend to read that and go, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire. Where does that leave me? I told the first service and said, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it again. I'll confess my ignorance here. I, just, I found out something this week that I didn't know. I found out that hot yoga is actually hot. <laughs> that, that they do that like in 90 degree plus temperatures and sometimes even 100 degree plus temperatures. And, and I just, what are they thinking? You know, maybe, maybe 30 years ago, you know, but right now, not me. I, I would, something would break if I did that. Would at least melt, for sure. Of course, I got a little bit that needs melting, but that's probably why they do it. But, I mean, imagine the elements will be destroyed by fire. I didn't know you could destroy elements. The earth and everything in it laid bare. I don't know how he's going to do that and me get to see it and not be destroyed, but I want to see it. I, I'm looking forward to it. This is, this, is, this is better than the 4th of July in Nashville, people. What are the former things that will be washed away? The, the pain that lingers inside our soul. And rots from the inside out. The, 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 the ache that won't go away. There's a lot of things that need obliterating. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. We're so accustomed to sorrow, that, that seems unimaginable. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a crier much. I don't, I don't cry a whole lot. Um, but I'm, I'm familiar with it. I mean, I know that's the world we live in. And, you know, and there are times that I do. And to imagine a world where it's, it just, it's not there. It doesn't exist. It, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to think of something that you've never seen before. But that's what this is. This fix isn't the old way of doing things. It's not, it's not the old way, but it's doing away with the old and it's bringing in something new. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. First uh, funeral I ever did after I went into the ministry was, uh, was for a four-month-old baby. Um, and, and I didn't know the people either, uh, but I was called on to do it, and I, and I did. It was a sudden infant death syndrome Case, so it was a situation where, you know, one day there's a healthy baby and by the end of the day, it's gone. And I've done quite a few infant funerals over the years, not all the same circumstances, but I've done quite a few. That's not going to happen anymore. That won't be taking place anymore. An old man who does not live out his years, he who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. No more infant funerals. The old won't die weak and infirm, full of years. 
you know, I, I, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. If you live long enough, you probably will. Uh, had had a, a, a close loved one die in a lingering fashion. That won't happen anymore. There, there won't, won't be any of that. The, the, the strength won't be gone. They will build houses, dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. We used to live on Amelie Drive in Nashville. Uh, we moved away from there in 1985 when we went to Zimbabwe. And, uh, but the house that we, that we lived in was fairly new and, and the yard was pretty barren. Uh, the person who'd lived there before, the first people who had it, had no vision for that yard whatsoever. Uh, but we did, and we planted some trees. And that's been 30 years ago, almost. And we'll drive by there. Uh, I'll drive by there from time to time, and man, we got some trees. But imagine, imagine, you know, planting, planting a little sapling and living long enough to see, that, to see that sucker go up. I mean, 100 feet, something in the air. You know, that's... That, that's kind of exciting. It is to me. I mean, the things that we do now, we, uh, much, of, much of what we do now, we do for the next generation, but I'd like to see the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation get to enjoy all that. You know, Adam was, 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 saw Noah's father reach the age of 56 before he died. And that was like six generations down. My, uh, my great, great, my five times great grandfather who came over on the boat from Ireland, Moses Meek, uh, would still be around. I'd still get to talk to him, still get, still get to know him. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. I, I, this, this promise right here, this expectation of the new earth right here is one of the things that really flips my switch because I know that there's so many people, especially in, in modern life, who the work that we do is not connected to us in any way whatsoever other than the fact that it causes something once a week or twice a month to, to blip somewhere and send some blips to a bank to put some money in that we can then go and do something with somewhere. But as far as doing something that genuinely satisfies, as far as doing something that, that we can say, you know, when, when I do this, I feel pleasure. I feel his pleasure. I feel his presence when I do this. I like, uh, I like to do uh, woodworking. I'm not very good at it. But uh, I like to do it. I built, uh, I built our first coffee table and our first end table. So we got married because we didn't have much money. And, and wood was cheap then and, and screws were, were cheaper than they are now. And I, and I built those things and they were, they were big and they were ugly and they, and they were indestructible. <laughs> Somewhere in the world right now, somebody is using those uh, and I enjoyed it. I felt good. And I can see it in my mind. But I, I, I really enjoyed it. I like to paint. I'm an abstract painter. <laughs> Color. You know, 
Yes, what is that? Margaret walks in and she tends, she goes, what is that? And I go, that's a painting. <laughs> Don't you know a painting when you see one? <laughs> right there. Yeah, but what is it? Well, it's canvas and acrylic. That's it, right there. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Felt his presence. I was doing it. You know, I, I didn't used to, but here's, here's, here's a clue. Here's what we have to do in the meantime. Because uh, before, I, before I went into the ministry, I spent, uh, I did a bunch of other jobs because I was 32 when I went into ministry full time, but I spent the five years before working for the Social Security Administration, sitting behind a desk, pushing a pencil. And I hate sitting behind a desk and pushing a pencil. I'm Apparently, I'm not the only one who does. Uh, and <clears throat> the, uh, of course, I know nowadays, for the most part, they type into the computer and everything, and we didn't have that then, but uh, that's what I did. And, but at some, at some point in time, the Lord clicked, and I realized I'm not an agent for the Social Security Administration. I'm a secret agent for the kingdom of God. <laughs> and I'm sitting behind this desk, and people come into me at vulnerable points in their lives. Someone has just died. Someone is applying for disability. Somebody is at the point of retirement in their lives. They come in and they sit across from this desk at vulnerable points in their lives, and I get to talk to them. And it's not that I necessarily open up to the book of Romans with each one of them, but I get to speak comfort into their lives. I get to bring hope into their lives. I get, into, I, 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 I get to give direction in their lives and help them in something that they're not able to do themselves. See, you can do whatever it is you're doing as unto the Lord. But when the kingdom comes, you're going to enjoy it as well. Before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. If you were to uh, call up the White House, don't expect Barack to answer the phone. If you call your senator, I mean, you think you could get, you know, get him on the phone right now? It depends, I, mean, I don't see anybody here who probably put that kind of money into the latest campaign. As a matter of fact, a few months ago, I had uh, some, some, uh, some issues that I was needing to deal with. There was some confusion with the Department of Motor Vehicles. Nobody there would talk to me. I couldn't get anybody on the phone at the DMV. And so I called my state representative, and he wouldn't talk to me either. But fortunately, his secretary would. So I talked to somebody who would talk to somebody who would talk to somebody who would talk to somebody who could do something. And that's pretty much the way that it is nowadays. But in the kingdom, before you call, he's already, he's already listening. You know, there's never, there's, never any, there's never any on hold. There's never any call waiting. When I was trying to get a hold of the DMV, they went, this is, this is the phone number to call. I called the phone number, and it says, you have reached the Department of Motor Vehicles. We are not, we're not able to take your call right now. Please call back, click. 
And after about 40 times, you just kind of go, they don't, they, they've got a thing about me. But in the coming kingdom, and in fact, this part of the kingdom is here right now. This part of the, this part of the kingdom already exists. The person who can do something about it not only is willing to talk to you, he's trying to talk to you. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. I, I, I doubt that there is a, uh, certainly, I doubt that there's a woman here, and probably not too many men here, who would feel safe at 2 a.m. walking down the, a number of the streets in Nashville. And Nashville's not all that bad a city. But in the coming kingdom, 24-7, any age, any gender, they will neither harm nor destroy at all. You know, you read the, you read the, the, the we live in a fairly safe area, but you read um, the papers or the internet or watch TV or something, and man, all the time, people are being murdered. People are being hurt. People are being abused. People are being, people are having stuff stolen from them. People are being uh, starved. People are being enslaved. That's what this world is. He's not going to fix it. He's going to destroy it. And in the new one, none of that stuff's going to be going on. We won't even need a police force. Adam, you're out of a job. <laughs> that job, anyway. In the, in the coming kingdom. Well, why doesn't he do all of this now? If, if God feels this way about it, and if he's able to do stuff, why doesn't he do it right now? And of course, Second Peter is the one who tells us that. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I don't know the formula. I, I do know how to get saved. I, I do know how to come to redemption. But I, I don't know what the magic formula is about, okay, this is the best way for it to work out. And when this many people, you know, versus that many people. I, I don't know any of that stuff. That's way beyond my pay grade. And, and I'm glad that I don't know any of that stuff. Here's what I know. I trust him. And if he says it's not time yet, it's going to be better for it to be later, then he's right. And if he says it's got to be this afternoon, he's right. That's what I know. And so who am I to say, well, God, why haven't you done this yet? And who are you to say, God, why haven't you done this? Who is anybody? To say, God, why haven't you done this yet? I trust him. And he's the one who knows. Now, let me, let me end with this. Last week I was talking about the fact that you have a window. You have two times during the year when people are willing to hear about Christ. When they're, when they're curious about it. Easter and Christmas. 
You, you've, got, you've got those windows there. And I said, so, you know, this is Christmas, and we've got opportunities for you to, to, to help share the, the message of the season with people, the real message of the season with people. Uh, but it's not just a matter of, of, of that. 365 days a year, you have the opportunity to help people get their nose out of the mud and look at what's coming in the future. What, what, what's out there? What's available? You know what a mole is? I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, you know, a little animal in the ground. Have you ever seen one? I was going to put their picture up there, but they're ugly. <laughs> they're kind of scary things. I, I thought I wouldn't put that up there right before lunch. Uh, but most of us live our lives like that. Most of us live our lives with, a, with our head buried in the ground and buried in earthly things and, and clawing and scraping just to get along. And The, the message from, that Jesus has is, look up. Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. This same Jesus who has gone from you into heaven will come again in the same manner that you've seen him leave. And it's not a mystical, magical thing because Jesus says every... From, as lightning flashes from the east and to the west and everybody sees it, every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. It will happen. Happy Advent. Would you stand with me? And with those who are going to pray with people, come down. As I said, that part of the kingdom is already here. And if you're here today and you, and you need something from the Lord, you need comfort, wisdom, direction, resource, healing. Oh, you, you know, I'm, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not real hung up on, well, how many people came forward, you know, uh, Hopefully, whoever God tells to come forward comes forward. But one of the things that really just breaks my heart is I know how much grace is left on the table each week that people just forfeit because they just don't ask for it. If you need to come, you come. And if not, worship with us. Worship with us for those who do. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your great compassion, blot out my many transgressions, and wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from sin.
Savior Jesus Christ, who sent his son into the world to bring a new world, to establish his kingdom. May his kingdom be established in your heart, and may you you have that anticipation to look forward to the coming kingdom, and may you share that anticipation with others who need hope in Jesus Christ our Lord.